Hey, good day, everyone. It's Nick from the Talking Power podcast. On top of our normal uh, podcast, the Talking Power podcast, I'm going to be bringing you something a little bit different uh, as regularly as possible. It's called Stories from the Garage, and they are literally stories from people's garage right around Australia. Our first episode here, we talked to a gentleman by the name of Michael Frost. Now, I've known Michael for many years, and um, he recounts the story of his HG, HK Monaro, that he built in Victoria back in the very early 80s. Um, at the time, he was obviously much younger and uh, didn't have a lot of money and uh, had to build this Monaro uh, with a few mates in the space of 12 months in his garage at home. Um, so he recounts the building. It's, it's quite interesting, to say the least. So I really hope you enjoy this. This is on top of our normal podcast We'll be bringing you uh, stories from the garage as regularly as possible. And for those of you that are interested, uh, if you want to reach out and uh, tell us your story from your garage, feel free to reach out to me at info, I-N-F-O, at talkandpower.net or reach out to us on our Facebook page or our website, www.talkandpower.com.au. All right, everyone, uh, let's tune in to episode one of Stories from the Garage. Okay, I'm here with Michael Frost. He's all the way from Victoria, Melbourne. Shouldn't hold that against you, Michael. Thanks for joining us on the Talking Power podcast. Hey, Nick. Thanks for having me. It's a privilege to be on. And I hope my, my story brings a few laughs and a few tears to a few people's eyes. No, I'm sure it will. I'm sure it will. Look, one of the things that we're doing at the moment with our podcast is just interviewing people in their sheds and out and, out and about. And uh, during this time where we're unable to interview people in person, we're just catching up with people over the, over the phone or over Zoom in this case. So we really appreciate your time. I know it's eight o'clock over there, so we really appreciate that. Michael, just tell us a little bit about, about yourself. Um, Let's let's go. Let's wind back the clock. So we're we're talking early eighties here for yourself. Tell us what was the car scene like, particularly in in Melbourne. What was it like back then? Well, around my my car days started around you know around seventy eight, seventy nine, and and uh, you know really got into it around nineteen eighty. But they were Monaros, Taranas, a few the old two door Tirana Peter Brock style with a with a uh, 350 slammed in them. He had yeah. a, a mate of mine with a charge and he had a 360 in it, fully worked 360. A lot of EH holders running around with 202s fully worked in. Uh, yeah. No brake, no disc brakes, I might add, just to top it off. Um, and quite a few old HR Holdens and that that was generally generally the, the scene. A lot of GDHOs and XRGTs as well. Yep, yep. So it was this was southeast Melbourne in the time? Yeah, yeah, southeast Melbourne and western suburbs. I was traditionally from the western suburbs in Melbourne, okay. so it was, a, it was big over there. That the car, there wasn't a lot to do where I was brought up, and cars were a big part of the culture, particularly as we're growing up. Mm. And um, yeah, there was always keen to, to as soon as you turn eighteen, you to get your first car. And and you know, if I thought, think back, it was too much horsepower with too little inexperience. I would say. Yeah, fair enough. Well, well, talking of your first car, give us a rundown on your on your first car. 
Well, actually, the first car I had wasn't my car. It was my mate's car. He didn't have a license, and his dad gave him the car. So I used to drive him around. It was a HD 65 Holden, I think it was, or 66. Oh, wow. Yep. Um, we basically broke it. We used yep. to uh, drive it real hard, three on the tree. I think it was a 161 in those days, I think, off memory. Uh, we used to regularly break engine mounts from uh, rollbacks, and eventually the, the whole car just <laughs> Gave up and we moved Killed on from there. And Fair then, um, yeah, then we moved into a, a, you know, a series of just cars to get us around. And then I worked in a car yard. Hmm. I wasn't a trained mechanic, but just fixing cars with another guy there that uh, that was pretty good at cars. So he points in the right direction. And every night we used to take a different car home. So we took an a, a XAGT home one night, four door, and scared the bejesus out of ourselves with that thing. Yeah. Um, Kimberly, there's a whole range of them, and then I saw a um, I saw a HK Monaro for sale. It was a bit yep. beaten up on that, and uh, I purchased it at a bargain price. I thought with a 307 Chev. Uh, little did I know that it was probably going to cost me a hell of a lot more money to get it into the shape it was. So uh, that was my introduction to to the Monaro. I fell in love with it the minute I saw it, and I thought, yeah. well, this is the car for me. Yeah. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about that, that Monaro then. Um, it was a H, HG or it was H, no, HK? So it was a HK yep. 307. It was one of the first run. Hmm. had 307. It had the, uh, the, uh, the GDS guards with the air vents, which didn't actually do anything. Um, and uh, power glide, two-speed transmission, Salisbury diff, etc. It became pretty apparent after a few months that uh, it needed some serious work on the back because of uh, the rust mm, yep. um, and um, made a decision that this thing wasn't going to last too long. So in the meantime, I bought an XR uh, Ford to get me yep. to work. I think I paid about $400 for it. And, and that's a story in itself. It only had... Uh, had three on the tree, but the first gear had a broken cog, so you can only drive it in second and third, and you had re- reverse occasionally. You could get reverse, so that yeah. served me well for twelve months. So we put the Monaro in the garage. We stripped it completely down um, mm. to nothing. Pulled the shell out, uh, took that down the tip in those days, and we bought another shell. For we actually drove past the house nearby, and the guy had a, a HG shell in the um, HG shell in the. Front yard, so we made him an offer and, and we picked it up and we uh, took it home and put it back in the garage. So how do, we, how do we go about putting it all back together? It's crazy. We used to go down the library and take the manual out for it because you couldn't buy a manual for it. Yep. And after two weeks, take it back and get it re-stamped. And then we sort of started work from there on it and started to, you know, we had, had drawings we made that I'd made pictures that I'd taken on a Kodak camera that I've developed so I knew how to put parts back where they were. Yeah, okay. And then just over a space of 12 months, just gradually um, put it back together um, and did quite a bit of work on the engine and that in the meantime. Because mm. there was no, obviously, no, you didn't have the luxury of Google back then and or, you know, electronic uh, media where you could go and watch a, watch a YouTube video and, and, and watch it back or how these parts come together. So... That's how you had to do it back in the day. Actually, take photos, develop them, and and use it as a reference to reassemble the car. Oh yeah, but you do other things. You go down the records and have a look at a car that was in the records. How bits and pieces were put together. Yep. I was fairly fortunate. I had a good a good mate who was a mechanic, so he'd pop his head in every now and then and make sure it was on the right thing. But 
yeah, we got the, the, the body that HG and we had, it was a manual, so we had to weld some parts into, into the uh, tunnel to reinforce it to put the auto in. Mm. Um, and then we had to put the, all the diff back in, etc. With the engine, it was a 307, so I, I got a friend to bore it out to a 350 and uh, he brought back the short block. So we, I reassembled the engine using the manual. Um, and I can remember starting it on the floor with water flowing running through my garden hose just to get it to turn over, make sure we could turn over before I put it back in, back in the engine, back in the uh, in the car. So we did a lot of those things. I was fairly fortunate that the electronics, or, or I use the word electronics, electrics, I should say, mm. when I put the loom, loom back in, etc. It all just basically worked, which yep. um, in those days, if the electrics were a problem, they were problematic for a long time. So yeah. we did all that. I put it all back together. You know, we had to put windscreens in, all the dashes, etc. Um, you know, I had to tar it, etc. So tell us, Michael, tell us the specifications of this beast. Hey, Nick, look, it was originally HK307 Monaro, uh, but it became a hybrid, so it had a HG body. HK front, went out mm. to a 350 two-bolt uh, two bolt mains, had a uh, two-speed power glide transmission, all cooler fitted, um, 650 Holly double pumper pumped up through the bonnet with a hole in the bonnet and, uh, and a power scoop on the top. Oh, yeah. Fiberglass power scoop. <laughs> yep. Um, Heavy-duty suspension. Uh, core springs were cut with an oxy, which is no longer allowed, of course. <laughs> Track rods on the rear. The Salisbury diff, which was the big thing in, big thing in those days. Um, Heavy-duty shockers. Um, and on the back of it, it had a uh, painted black louver, which was all the rage to keep the sun out in those days. They were. They, I had a Commodore back in the very early 90s, and that had a louver as well. And because yeah. uh, that's what you did, that's how they came out. That's that, and they did. They looked cool back in the day. But there were lots of other bits and pieces, like at a mild camp, twenty one hundred RPM high stall converter, mm. um, and it just goes on and on. You just put bits of, just kept adding bits and pieces. Yeah. And I'm not sure. I'm not sure it performed any better. It certainly went quicker, but it didn't go around corners real well. <laughs> So you had 14s on the front and 15s on, on the rear. On 15s, and it was normal. I think 14s by 7s or 8s on the front. I think 15s by 8 or 10s, depending on. We actually had two sets of wheels for the rear. We had we had um, extra wide ones with not a lot of tread when we went down to the Mad Max road, mm. and then um, and then the standard ones when we were out on the out doing other things, but. Uh, Sway bar, rear spray bar, sway bar was the norm with track rods. I'm not sure what they actually did apart from probably look good, but uh, <laughs> they supposedly improved their handling. But I think I've got to remember there's a massive amount of steel in the back half of those cars. And yeah. It's not to get them around a corner at any speed was obviously a challenge. No, that's right. That's right. And uh, I take my hat off to, I think it was Norm Beachy that may have won oh, Bathurst a, in, in one of those. Yes, we used to watch Norm race with against Alan and uh, we used to yeah, be barricade for the Monaro every time. I bet. I bet. Yeah. Tell us a little bit. We, we've discussed this in the past when we caught up. So the, the garage where you built the car, it was a, a, a brick floor, floor, correct me if I'm wrong. Well, it was a tin garage with a corrugated iron with a wooden frame. And it was uh, the guy that I rented the house off, he had paved the garage with 
the old style bricks where they um, they're not smooth. Yeah. So you can imagine trying to use a a um, engine stand on that with wheels. Um, so it was it had its own difficulties. Yeah. And when it rained, of course, it was fairly damp in there because the roof wasn't the best. So yeah. But it did its job. It said that it was good. It was locked locked up, and you could come back and work on it every night. But it was, uh, yeah, it was a, it was a challenge. But it was a lot of fun. I mean, it was really it really was a lot of fun. Yeah. No. No. No doubt. No doubt. I mean, for, for my mind, it's really the the quintessential car from from that era. Because if if we cast our minds back to to a similar era, uh, a lot of people would remember a, a movie called Australian movie that is. Uh, called Running on Empty. And to me, it's the quintessential. It's in the opening scene. It's probably the most, um, I guess you could argue it's the, the not the star of the of the movie, but it was probably one of the most famous cars in its time. And um, I don't know, when I when I look at your car, that's that's the car I think, and if those that are watching the video, that you can see it on the screen now, actually. That's the, you know, the quintessential opening scene to... to um, running on empty and, and it reminds me of yours. We showed your car a little bit earlier on the video. So those watching the video uh, can see that or go to our Facebook page. You'll be able to see pictures of Michael's Monaro that we've been referring to. It is, it's really typifies that era, doesn't it? Look, I think, yeah, it does. I think there were a hell of a lot of cars that were more, a lot more modified than my car. Certainly. Uh, my car was known, his nickname was the beast. Yeah. Um, it was quick in a straight line. Corners, cornering was optional. Braking was optional. Uh, it was built within the legal limits, but, you know, a heap of horsepower, two-speed transmission that if you didn't have an oil cooler on, you blew one every six months and ripped it out put it in. We had an, a thing called, I know, maybe some people remember, called track rods, which were basically a long piece of square tube steel with some, some um, clamps to go over your springs. We put station wagon springs in the rear end to and that would stop diff, diff hop. Uh, there was a whole range of things we did did to it that uh, would, uh, I'd suggest <laughs> wouldn't be allowed these days. <laughs> um, and just, you know, and all with a, t- what, a 10 or 12 inch steering wheel trying to turn with no power steering. There's mm. no such thing as power steering then unless you were driving a, um, a Statesman or something like that or a yeah. Fairlane if you're lucky enough to have a, a, a classic Ford Fairlane. Um, so yeah, you drive all that. Um, brakes probably lasted two or three applications at higher speeds. Yeah. And, um, we used to frequent, um, a place in Melbourne where they, if you look at one of the Mad Max movies where the Fords go through the caravan. Oh yeah. The car yeah. flies through the caravan. We used to frequent that. And, uh, I wouldn't say that we drove on that road. We certainly just went down for a look. Of course. I think the statues yeah, so, of limitation have exceeded now anyway, so you probably... Anyway, that was a big congregation and um, it's interesting. That was, we're just starting to see the rotaries come. Yep, yep. And the, 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 sort of the Mazda rotaries and things like that. So it was just starting to change a little bit. Michael, tell us a little bit about, um, you know, in my mind in 2020 where we're living now um we've kind of lost our way in terms of garage builds we don't see the garage build happening much anymore we're seeing young guys they might get a car they might do a bit of work to it but generally speaking they go off to a workshop nowadays and and they come back completed or near near completed what are your thoughts on that how do we get this this younger generation back into doing like what what you did well, look, I think a couple of things for me is that 
there's amazing resources available now. Mm. Yeah, with um, Google, all that type of thing, the, the car pages. I know my son had a few problems with his car. I just Googled it, fixed the problem straight away. Like there's mm. so much information available. I think sometimes they, they're, they're limited by a lot of the leg legislation and rules too, so that they've got to get things done outside. But I'd be saying to anyone who wants to have a, have a crack at, at, at pulling a car apart and rebuilding it, there is so much information available. It's never been easier to do it. And yeah. I just say, put it in your garage and have a go. Yeah. And do yeah, the things right. that you want to do to it. Mm. And, you know, I enjoyed it. Um, I don't enjoy working on cars as much as I used to. But um, but also the other thing too, Nick, is cars are, are more plug and play now too. So, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of plug and play with computers and that. So that probably holds it back. But I just reckon you just, you know, like, I can still fix my son's car. I have a, yep. I, I'll take the theory. I'll have a bit of a go at it and see how we go. Mm. Yeah, no, fair enough. No, that's fair enough. And Michael, tell us what, what do you get it around in these days? Uh, well, I've just got an XR6 FGU. Um, yep. It's one, one with a lot. It's got everything on it. And uh, honestly, I, I won't suggest I exceed the limit, but it is a bit of a jet. And it drives like it's got 19 inches. She drives like she's on rail. So, so she's a beauty. So, um, yeah, I used to have a, a, a sedan, but I've just gone back to a unit. And I should just come back from uh, loading up with firewood. So just keeping the family happy. So the fire's going. Oh, fair enough. No, that's fair enough. Hey, look, Michael, look, uh, thanks for your time on coming on to, uh, for this interview. Um, look, I really appreciate it. Um, tell us, thoughts any cars in the future that you're thinking of doing yourself i know you got the ute now but you're looking at some plans in the future well, i think down the track i'll do something um i haven't got time at the moment because obviously it's very uh it's very trying times at the moment with all, all yep. the things that are going on so i'm fairly busy with my work and family but eventually when things subside i'd like to do something but nick i'll show you about as close as i get to a monaro these days mate <laughs> there it is. Those that are watching the video, he's just held up a HG. That's a one eight eight scale HG GDS. <laughs> yeah. So no, it's uh, it's yeah. Thanks, Nick. Hey, Michael. Really appreciate your time on coming on the podcast. Uh, it's great to have you on, and uh, thanks thanks for helping us out. Really appreciate it. Look, Nick, I appreciate. It. I hope my ramblings take a few people's minds off the current situation, even just it's just for a few laughs. Yeah. No. Certainly. Certainly, and we really appreciate right. that. All right. Good night, Take Nick. Care. See ya. See ya.